Welcome to Exploring Hydrogen. Here we will learn about all the exciting advancements, opportunities and challenges of this nascent energy sector. We delve into how hydrogen can contribute to the decarbonisation of Australia and the world and investigate what it's going to take for adoption and into transportation, industry and society. I'm Andy Marsland. Welcome to our energising journey. My guest today is Chief Operating Officer for LAVO, Jack Margrave. Jack has been with LAVO for coming up to two years. He has 20 years experience in strategy, corporate development and business transformation. His role at LAVO straddles the whole value chain from corporate development, investment, R&D, product development. So I'm sure we will have an interesting and diverse conversation ahead of us. So a very warm welcome, Jack. Thank you, Andy. Really glad to be on, this, on the podcast. So first of all, let's dive straight into it. Lavo, can you tell us um, about the organization and about your product? Yeah, sure. So look, Lavo is uh, the world's first uh, technology and lifestyle brand powered by hydrogen, in this case, green hydrogen. Um, the company is a uh, really the first child of a union or, or venture between Providence Asset Group, our parent company, and the University of New South Wales here in Sydney. Um, it is uh, really a startup it's been out of this of the Hydrogen Energy Research Centre out of UNSW, um, which is a joint venture, as I said, between Providence Asset Group, which is an uh, ESG-dedicated investment firm, and the University of New South Wales, um, to start commercialising uh, the storage technology around hydrogen uh, in a solid-state form. So LAVO as a company uh, is, is all about um, empowering the world with limitless energy, uh, particularly around hydrogen. We believe hydrogen offers an infinite resource uh, that really can help to decarbonize uh, our, our goals around energy energy independence and also net carbon. Um, as a brand, LAVO honors Antoine Lavoisier, the scientist who, who named hydrogen, father of modern day chemistry. Fantastic. Uh, and really our aim as an organization is to challenge convention and, and start enabling meaningful change in attitudes and behaviors around sustainability. Uh, a lot of sustainability and the discussion and narrative around sustainability is understandably very alarmist. Uh, we know there's a, a significant burning platform to do the right thing by sustainability, but we believe hydrogen in particular and renewable energy offers a vista into untapped uh, limitless uh, energy uh, and really begins to look at the positive side of sustainability rather than, you know, a lot of the um, uh, obviously alarmist uh, alarmist notions out there. So for us, we're all about democratizing energy, uh, decentralizing energy uh, for local businesses and homes. Yeah, great stuff. In terms of the decentralization, then, are you thinking that uh, what's your long-term vision for the organization that uh, a large number of houses are going to have uh, a lot of units? Is there going to be uh, microgrids cropping up across Australia and the world? Yeah, so we think um, you know, the future of energy is decentralised um, at, a, at a local level, either at a home level, uh, certainly as a, at a residential level, or indeed at a community level, so a suburb using a microgrid, for instance, indeed also at a community level or, or a, a township level. So that's the, that's what, what we believe is the future for energy. Certainly, there will still be a role to, to be played by a centralised system, so you still need dispatch, dispatchable generation in certain times of the day, um, but but we believe over time the game will move from centralised to decentralised in, the, in the utilising this sort of storage technology. So LAVO not only um, has developed product for uh, residential and commercial uh, scale storage, 
of renewable energy, but also at the utility scale, uh, storing significant amounts of energy in a larger uh, utility scale solution for industrial type applications. Yeah, fantastic. And maybe we can dig into that a bit later on in the conversation. Um, sure. I thought we could talk about the, the appearance of, of Lavo. So it looks pretty cool as a, as a unit. I was very fortunate to meet with you earlier on in the, in the year in Sydney and uh, have a look at the uh, the unit and inside the unit as well. So I'm sure a lot of design work went into that. For the benefit of the uh, the listeners, it's uh, I guess you'd describe it as, well, from the, from the front, the shape is uh, kind of a, a, a massive iPad type shape. So rectangular curved corners, looks pretty cool. There's four red capsules on, on the on the left. Uh, I'm not sure if they're uh, removable units, but they uh, remind me of something that you could sort of like plug out and into the back of the De- uh, DeLorean from the back of the, back to the future. <laughs> uh, can you remove those um, those units? They will be removable. So yes, in, in the future, the, the intent is for uh, a, a residential or commercial business to not only convert you know, store energy in the form of hydrogen and then convert it to electrons, but also to use the molecule in hydrogen directly. So you could use that as a plug and play to power other devices. So for uh, we're developing other products as well. So for example, a last mile delivery bike. So you can actually, if you had one of these units, you could just pull out the, the, the canister effectively, like a soda stream swap and go type model and use that to power uh, a bike uh, or indeed other, other devices like a barbecue. Uh, or home heating or uh, other products that we're working on that I can't really speak about right now. But yeah, the intent is to use that as a stop and go uh, type model. That's so cool. Yeah. Is there any other organization in the world doing something like this? Well, look, there are other organizations doing metal hydride storage for hydrogen. So I'll talk a bit about that, which is solid state storage. Um, yes, uh, but they are not at the levels of uh, number of cycles or the duration, if you like, of of storage that we are, nor are they at the amount of energy density that we can achieve. Um, so our metal hydride technology, which is patented uh, through UNSW, is is a, is a world first. Traditionally, metal hydrides have a number of challenges. Uh, first and foremost, you often have to use non-sustainable materials, so toxic material or rare earth metals or precious metals. Ours don't have any of those. They're all common alloys. And I'll talk a bit about what a metal alloy is for your listeners to to sort of demystify a bit. Effectively, it's a metal alloy that bonds to the hydrogen at a crystalline or an atomic level, forming a a solid state. So the the hydrogen isn't being stored in a liquefied form. It's not being stored in a gaseous form. It is actually a solid state. So it forms part of the metal that eventually becomes like a metal sand. So that's the best way to describe it. Uh, We call it a solar sponge. So it soaks up all that energy, excess energy from renewables and stores it at a very high energy density. So here we're talking about, um, in battery terminology, it's well north of 555 watt hours per kilogram. So that's more than double what lithium is. Lithium normally is around 200 watt hours per kilogram. And we can significantly increase that by adding a little bit of pressure. So metal hydrides are not new. They've been around uh, since the Second World War. But yes, to your your question, others do. In it. Yes, they are. Um, but we've cracked the, the code, if you like, the recipe, the secret sauce of how do you uh, ensure that you can develop this metal hydride at low temperature uh, or ambient temperature at low pressures. So we're operating at 35 bar pressure, not you know 250 plus bar pressure, which has a safety issue to, to it. So we've, we've really uh, ameliorated the safety concern. And importantly, energy density. So if you were to put this into hydrogen terminology, we're at 12.6 megajoules per liter which is significantly higher than pressurized hydrogen at 700 bar is about five megajoules per liter. 
And in also liquefaction, which is eight megajoules per liter. So 12.6 megajoules per liter is a huge amount of energy density uh, in a solid state form, which is safe and it's completely sustainable, 100% recyclable at end of life, which is a bit of a game changer. So is that the metal alloy that's 100% recyclable or is that the whole unit itself? The metal alloy specifically is, is, is 100% recyclable and repurp can be repurposed at end of life. So it goes back into a furnace and is effectively uh, repurposed for use again. Um, so what actually causes uh, the alloy to slightly degrade over time is the introduction of a bit of um, moisture and that actually affects the cycle. But over 20,000 cycles, which equates to 30 years of life, we're actually placing a nominal a degradation of 5% capacity reduction, which is you know almost insignificant uh, over a 30-year life as opposed to, say, lithium, which we know degrades significantly. Wow, incredible. 20,000 cycles. Yeah, correct. So we're seeing at least 20,000 cycles uh, in, in, a, in an operating environment. We've actually seen over 40,000 cycles in a laboratory environment with zero degradation. So the technology, as it advances and develops, yeah, we're already at a significant amount of lifespan uh, at, at you know, virtually zero degradation. So 20,000 cycles is about 30 years of, of, of asset life. And within a residential environment, how big would your solar array need to be on, on the roof for it to be advantageous to utilize a, a lava unit? Because I guess when you've got some you know, fairly small units, say, you know, three um, kilowatts on, on the roof, you don't want a lava unit filling up to a small percentage and then having to go through the cycle, you know, it's not maximizing its potential? Yeah, look, it's a good question. It depends on a couple of variables, one of which is obviously location um, would be a, a big a big variable there. How much cons- how much you consume during the day versus the night is another variable. But what we say as a re- as a sort of rule of thumb is that for the lava system to be effective and to really sweat the electrolyzer on board, so the electrolysis process, you really need about five point five to six uh, kilowatt uh, system on your roof, which is a moderate size um, a PV system. Uh, nowadays, that's sort of a common installation. Uh, in fact, quite a few installations are bigger than that now for residential uh, applications. So, yeah, that, that's that's sort of the, the ideal size to, to ensure that you're getting the most out of the unit. And I think your strategic priorities, and maybe we can sort of delve into them a little bit more, um, across different markets of residential, uh, telecoms towers, uh, commercial and uh, off-grid uh, backup. So, yeah, we've spoken a little bit about re- uh, residential. How many units have you got out in Australia at the moment? So there's five units that are currently being commissioned across five different states. Uh, first one in South Australia, Adelaide, is actually already commissioned and operating. We have another one uh, in, in Western Australia at a customer site that will shortly be commissioned. Uh, we have another unit uh, up at the roof of one of the roofs at UNSW uh, that's been commissioned. Uh, we have a further site uh, down in uh, Clayton uh, at the CSIRO facility in Melbourne. Uh, and then the final unit is at, uh, at Queensland University of Technology uh, up in Brisbane. So those five five units are out in the field uh, providing really crucial telemetry data for the regulator, the gas regulator in this instance, to be satisfied as to the safety aspects of the unit. But yeah, perhaps just to touch your question about the different markets. So residential, yes, it is a, it is uh, being conceived very much as a, as a system for uh, residential, but not just residential because we're not hanging our hat on residential. So we think that you know certainly early adopters and innovators will grab a hold of this, and we've seen that already in our pre-orders. But uh, for the telco space, this is very exciting because uh, there's over a million telco stations worldwide that use diesel as backup generation. And a third of the operating cost of a, of a mobile base station is in the diesel cost. This unit effectively, as is, can replace the diesel for those backup generation 
uh, site. So uh, that's a big market for us and we've got significant interest from a number of players in that regard. And then the commercial space, that's quite a broad bucket. So everything from you know, uh, vineyards to mining operations to manuf- small manufacturing facilities um, and the like. Uh, data centers, for instance, where you can actually put these units in a, in a series and they can st- act as a standalone power system or a virtual power plant effectively. So commercial is, is a big bucket and a lot of interest there as well with uh, a number of uh, global companies, which I unfortunately can't speak to, uh, apart from the ones that have been announced, so the likes of MacArthur Minerals, Duxton Vineyards, and, the, and, and those sorts of examples, which are which have been made public, but a number of other very exciting, very interesting um, opportunities in the B2B space uh, globally, particularly in the North American market and European markets. And the final one is the off-grid or, or, or fringe of grid, uh, as we call it, uh, market. So uh, anywhere in Australia, like in many parts of the world, where you have these string lines of, of electricity lines running for hundreds of miles, at the end of which there might be you know one or two homes or a small homestead uh, or a or small business. And in those instances, those homes often have very expensive, very intermittent, unreliable electricity supply with a weather event or whatever it might be. So they're using diesel generators effectively as their backup. Uh, This system pretty much does away with that. So that's another big market for us. So to recap, with commercial premises, you believe there's significant value for data centers. I'm also thinking perhaps hospitals or really anything that needs that critical backup if there's a problem with the grid. Yeah, correct. So um, anything that requires emergency backup generation, uh, this the system is is perfect for uh, as well. Um, it can the hydrogen can actually happily sit in a solid state for many many years with zero degradation. So it's it's effectively a replacement of diesel fuel. Uh, in many instances uh, for those sorts of applications. And then we're also developing uh, the same product, but at a, at a much larger scale, as I mentioned, for solar farms and wind farms. So that's uh, instead of a 40 kilowatt system, which is the baby unit that we're calling it, we have a, um, a 12 to 13 megawatt hour system, which is a 20 foot container that's half height. So for those industrial utility applications, the idea being here that we will, uh, we've already actually signed or are in the process of signing a, a, an agreement with Providence Asset Group, which has 40 solar farms in construction across Victoria and New South Wales. And so we will be essentially installing that large scale utility storage solution, uh, much like the smaller system, but at that large scale in each of those solar farms. So generating green hydrogen from the sun and then using that for either stationary storage and useful, you know, powering small communities. Uh, or actually then using that to to export power to X to export that either domestically or internationally. Fantastic. And that's the the HEOS unit that you're referring to there, that's the larger scale correct. than the LABO? Yeah, correct. That's the HEOS unit. So uh, effectively, it's a 20-foot container with instead of 100 kilograms of metal hydride, you're talking about 18 tons of metal hydride. Um, so together with the container, you're sitting just a, just under the the maximum weight for road, road freight. And the whole idea here was to create a system that is uh, cost-effective from a road, rail, and marine infrastructure standpoint. So you're not having to, you know, reinvent capex to to set up, uh, you know, the ability to export uh, or import hydrogen, green hydrogen. In this case, you can actually utilize existing infrastructure. So it's a very cost-effective uh, means as well. Can that amount of weight be carried by uh, by a- helicopters or um, planes? And I'll tell you where I'm, I'm going with that in a minute. <laughs> I'm not sure about helicopters. Uh, I think a helicopter might struggle with that sort of weight, but uh, possibly, yeah, cargo planes, I imagine, could. Yeah, yeah. Digressing, but the things that you uh, think about, I was uh, up in the night last night sort of preparing for this uh, discussion and I got thinking about HEOS and uh, how uh, advantageous it could be for the defence sector and perhaps some of these war-torn countries if the uh, the unit could be flown into the war-torn country. 
dropped in place if there was a I'm sure you guys are thinking about these things already if there was a, um, a solar roof as it were that could be concertinaed out from that and that would form the the roof of the of the mess tent as well or the the um, storage or um under undercover area for the people so uh yeah i think the <laughs> the opportunities are so wide and diverse aren't they and that that's part of our challenge uh, and is we need to we need to stay quite focused on developing the technology for commercial ready applications but you're absolutely right we've um we have had a lot of interest in the defense space um so defense marine uh, and a number of other sectors uh, where you know st- you know storing the ability to dispatch as you say a lot of energy uh, in a very cost-effective manner uh, is is very much of interest and also in a very safe manner. So, yes, uh, there is a lot of that. Um, and certainly for us, we do see the opportunities and possibilities as being endless, really, uh, insofar as what this uh, solid-state storage can can actually help with. Uh, one of our construction manufacturing partners actually does a lot of work in the defence space uh, around things like standalone power, power systems. So, Pretty much as you just described, you know, a solar array pops up, uh, and it's a standalone system that can power, you know, an operation wherever that might be. So yes, uh, this technology is very much adaptable in in, in that regard or that use case. What are a lot of those goals and aspirations as a business in the uh, next few years? Look, as a startup, we we do, we are taking it step by step. Um, so for us, you know, we're we're very much focused on the next uh, for eighteen months to two year frame. Uh, effectively, we've got three major priorities. The first is to is to really get our residential commercial units, so the baby lava unit, um, to a point where it's com- it's hundred percent commercial ready now. So we're at that point right now. Uh, we are working with a number of select customers to get about twenty of these. Uh, into into different installations from from quarter two next year, um, so that's sort of a major priority for us. The team are very focused on you know making sure that systems reliable, fully functional. Obviously, working with the regulators to to ensure that we can uh, demonstrate safety, etc. So we can get certification. There isn't a standard right now in Australia for this this device, so we're having to take a safety case approach uh, with our engineering partners, GHD. So there's a lot of work to be done to get to that point, uh, which we are pedaling very hard to do, and then we have. Over two thousand three hundred pre-orders for that unit already in our com- in our e-commerce uh, platform. Wow. So that's about sixty-five million Aussie dollars. Uh, that is, you know, we need to convert to actual revenue from a deposit, effectively. So that's a big job to be done right now. That could take us at least the next couple of years to kind of pedal hard and get that done. In parallel to that, we are very much uh, focused on developing uh, our pathway for the utility scale solution. So where we're talking about quite a lot of um, scale up from a production standpoint, uh, we're very much uh, working with a few of the state governments to to support that initiative. We'd love that to be in Australia. So you are talking about heavy industry at this stage in terms of making that en masse. Uh, so the metal hydride and the containers. And then the third one is we're working on a universal portable vessel, so the swap-and-go type concept where you could use that small vessel to power a number of other devices, including our last-mile delivery bike, which we're working on, as well as a barbecue as well. So those are probably the three focus areas, but from a commercial standpoint, it is really to stand up these units. So the 2,300 pre-orders I mentioned were were all in the e-commerce platform predominantly, so across uh, 43 countries, 55% of that is here in Australia, uh, and quite a mix uh, across that sort of four types segments that I mentioned earlier, so residential, telco, commercial, and, and off-grid. Um, but then we also have a number of 
a significant uh, commercial B2B customers that are, uh, are going to be the um, first 20 that we roll out in quarter two, as I mentioned, that if we can show, you know, touching and, and touching and feeling is, is really what it's all about. They want to see the units. They want to see them working reliably. Uh, and then upon that, there's significant uh, orders off the back of that, which uh, from a working capital standpoint is important for us to secure. Yeah, fantastic. And I think I read somewhere that you're aiming for 10,000 units by 2025. And by the sound of things, 2,300 pre-orders, you're well on your way to that. Yeah, looks, you know, demand is not the problem here uh, that we're trying to solve for right now. We've, um, you know, we're in discussions with uh, a few international players like in North America and Europe uh, and also domestically here that could certainly uh, take up that, uh, that, that potential supply. Uh, quite easily, so it's not it's not a it's not a demand issue. It's really a supply issue. So we're working with our third party manufacturers to make sure we can scale up uh, and we can deliver on those uh, on that demand commitment that we've got right now. So it is really a supply challenge uh, and also a capital challenge. So we've gone through a Series A funding round. We're looking into a Series B funding round at this stage as well, because as we step into that scale up, it is significant capital investment required on the production side and also working capital. Perhaps on the supply side, then, uh, if you don't mind explaining to the listeners about the uh, the project in Springfield, the manufacturing facility. Yeah, so that's a joint venture between us and uh, the Netherlands. Uh, one of the leading uh, fuel cell manufacturers called Nedstack, out of out of the Netherlands. Um, Nedstack um, uh, really have pioneered fuel cell technology for a number of years. So we've uh, sought to use their technology and embed that straight into the lava unit, and not try and reinvent the wheel along the way. So using you know off the shelf technology that's uh, certainly class leading. Um, and Nedstack are, are are very keen to expand their footprint uh, across the southern hemisphere. So this facility up in Springfield City Group outside of Brisbane will be the largest uh, fuel cell production facility of its kind in, in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, and so that's that's an exciting development for us. What it allows us to do is to significantly reduce the cost, manufacturing costs of those fuel cells. So the fuel cell together with the electrolyzer are the two biggest cost components in the lava unit. They both make up circa 60, 65% of the total cost. Um, so the opportunity here is to reduce the cost quite significantly on those core components, starting with the fuel cell up at Springfield City Group. Yeah, great stuff. And whereabouts is the electrolyzer being manufactured? Electrolyzer is with Anapta. So Anapta are, again, a leading German-Italian manufacturer. In fact, one of the winners of the Earth Prize recently. Um, so Anapta are the electrolyzer uh, that we have a joint venture and have a, have a supply agreement with uh, with Anapta on that. Not a joint venture, but a, a strategic supply agreement. It was great to hear about the announcement of the manufacturing facility in Springfield. I mean, historically, Australia has been heavily reliant on the wealth of natural resources. I mean, primarily the uh, oil and gas and mining sector, which make up a significant proportion of our GDP. Some of the work we've been doing in H2Q, which is the non-for-profit industry group I've been involved with, has been focusing on how we can capitalise on the hydrogen opportunity. Australia has got the potential to be a major exporter of hydrogen molecules, but also how can we be a leader in, in technology? So exporting our technology and also our expertise, the skills of our population. Yeah, so we are um, working with a few of the states and there will be some more news to follow, which we're very excited about to actually um, do just that, which is to bring advanced manufacturing here back to Australia when there already is advanced manufacturing. I was quite uh, amazed at how much manufacturing is already happening in the country, even though you know the headlines suggest 
not the same uh, with the auto industry and the like having exited. But there is a lot of healthy manufacturing here in Australia and, and uh, we have a lot of capability as well. So certainly for us from a manufacturing st- strategy standpoint, uh, we want to be as close to the markets that we serve. So those you know, 2,300 pre-orders I mentioned, 55% of those are here in Australia. So we already have a pretty big order book to fulfill. Uh, and that's not to mention uh, some of the other sectors like telco that we we will be serving as well. So we will need to have a, an advanced manufacturing facility in Australia serving the Australasian market, Pacific Islands and so forth, uh, and potentially into Southeast Asia. Uh, and then at the same time, we'll need to have uh, additional manufacturing facilities and capabilities offshore as well. So um, that's obviously something we'll, we're on, it's on the agenda as well from a longer term standpoint. Yeah, good stuff. What, from a, an industry standpoint, would help your business to to grow and i'm thinking you know policy you touched upon the uh, certification being perhaps a little bit of a challenge uh, at the moment um anything else from a uh, an industry-wide level that would um advance the uptake of hydrogen well i think you've already stated the big ones certainly you know the regulatory landscape policy settings so regulatory landscape from a certification standpoint so we're working with standards australia right now to actually bring into the market a standard which we, we very much uh, look forward to that will just help us to bring a standard effectively to solid state storage uh, of the sorts of technology we're talking about here. So that's something that's really important to get in place because it allows us then to, you know, you know conclusively demonstrate that we, we, we comply with that standard. Um, so that's the first thing for us right now. The, the second one is yes, the policy and, and, and legal framework. Uh, I see certainly the government needing to encourage policy adoption uh, and change the settings so we can accelerate that. Uh, one example here is just in the uptake in EVs in New South Wales recently with the slight amendment in rebates. You know, I mean, suddenly you've seen a huge uh, increase in, in demand for EVs overnight almost. So, you know, policy settings have a significant role to play and the government does need to support the hydrogen industry to, to accelerate. So it's not a 10-year journey, it's sort of a five-year journey for the industry. So I don't think anyone would disagree that, you know, hydrogen has a significant role to play, particularly green. Uh, in the energy mix, it's really now down to the government to ensure that you know an, an industry that's had an installed base in fossil fuels for generations uh, and, and, and you know, significant economies of scale advantage, that hydrogen can get a fair go at actually competing in that same field. So that's the only way that's going to happen is through is through the right policy settings. So so yes, a, a regulatory framework from a standards perspective, policy settings, as you said, uh, and then yes, legal legal frameworks there as well. Um, the fourth one um, probably would be just around making sure that you know we can get onto the various um, battery rebate schemes in each of the states. Uh, Australia is quite, shall I say, uh, not very standardised in terms of how or coordinated and each of the states operate quite independently. So you have to get onto the battery rebate scheme effectively in each of the different states. So that's a lot of cost and complexity. Um, so we, we would love to see that happen as well. So people get at least a bit of support from the government in terms of a, a rebate uh, to actually purchase the units. Um, and same for businesses. You know, If businesses can be offered uh, incentives as well from a tax perspective, uh, we think that's going to go a long way. Have you seen much change and improvement from a state-by-state level? I mean, you're absolutely right. We certainly don't want duplication and excess red tape. So what's the landscape at the moment? What are states collaborating on to avoid some of these potential duplications? Look, I think we're still at the early stage, if I'm honest. Um, you know, certainly with, uh, for example, uh, with the gas regulator, there's different gas regulatory bodies in each of the states. Uh, they all, they, yes, they do coordinate and yes, they, they do talk to one another, but they are somewhat independent and you have to go through the same sort of process in each state. 
Similarly with the watermark, because we have a water input into the unit, um, it, the, the watermark uh, process is should be fairly straightforward and has been relatively straightforward. But again, it's often now down to each of the councils for them to approve it. You think about how many councils there are in Australia. So, you know, we're at the start of this journey and it, it is a, it's a bumpy road ahead, but it needs to be smoothed out for this product to really see the light of day here in Australia. Um, certainly uh, overseas overseas markets are, are very happy to take take whatever we can supply. So, yeah, we, we want to see uh, reform and want to see that quite soon so we can actually pave the way for this unit to uh, to, to see to see a lot of day here in Australia. It's an Australian-made uh, product uh, with Australian technology, um, so it should it should it should be here first. And touching on water, there, how, how much water would the unit use, and can that is is that water that comes out of the unit is that of drinking quality, or what's the uh, kind of uh, yeah recyclable options for that? So, firstly, it's it's potable water, so straight out of your water mains. Um, there are three filters on board the system, so it can actually uh, deal with a, quite a big variation in quality of water. In terms of the amount, it's actually quite a nominal amount of water. So you're only talking about eighteen liters, which is a bit over a bucket load of water to fully charge a system, which can actually supply enough energy for a typical Aussie home for two to two and a half days. So, uh, you know, a little over a bucket load of water goes a long way uh, to, to supporting that. And yes, the, the system does recirculate the water. So when the, when the uh, fuel cell actually uh, does its thing, so it reverses almost a reverse electrolysis, the byproduct of which you know, the hydrogen reacts with uh, the air and so forth is heat and water and electricity. Uh, so yes, that water is then recycled back into the system. Oh, good stuff. We've spoken about the safety. Um, we've spoken about the longevity of the unit. We've spoken about the the power output of it. What what are the other reasons that someone would choose a lava unit versus a um, battery? Yeah, look, I th- look. There's always for me when I speak to investors and 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 partners. There's kind of six things, and we have dealt. Uh, we have touched on some of them. Is worth just reinforcing. The first one is is energy security. So. You know, for, for homes or businesses that really want significant long duration energy storage, lithium simply in our view is not just as a standalone technology. We have a small lithium on, on a battery on board as well, but as a standalone solution, we don't believe it's the way to go. So, you know, if you were to buy a, in a residential context, um, you know, a Tesla Powerwall 2 or one of the light, an algae battery, et cetera, um, you, you're looking at the most you can get is a 13 kilowatt hour system. So 40 kilowatt hours of, of usable energy is, is, is significantly more than that. So energy security is a big one and becoming a, a, a big issue, particularly with the instability we're seeing in the grid, not just here in Australia, but in North America, where I'm from in South Africa and other countries. Energy security is a major, major issue. So as I mentioned before, uh, you know, the energy density we're seeing here is double what you can see out of lithium, which is resolves a major issue, which is around renewable, the re- growth we've seen in renewable energy. So curtailment of solar farms is one issue, but that curtailment the issues coming closer to home in terms of residents. So here in Australia, some parts of Australia, you're actually going to get penalised to put all this fantastic renewable energy back into the grid because the grid's becoming more and more unstable. So energy security is a big one. Sustainability is, a, is, a, is crucial as well. Uh, you know, lithium has a number of challenges to it. It, it degrades a lot over time. Uh, we don't have any toxic material or, or rare earth metals in our metal alloy, as I mentioned. So it's 100% recyclable. So that's a big, a big, um, a big plus or a big uh, advantage. So in terms of sustainability comparison, do you happen to know how much lithium batteries are actually recyclable at this stage versus what's recyclable from Lavo? It's it's challenging to answer right now, um, but certainly we would say that uh, the the electric 
naturalized in the fuel cell has a number of components which can be repurposed and recycled. I can't give you an exact figure, um, but certainly the core of this technology, which is in large, largely the, the metal alloy, is 100% recyclable. Uh, yes, we have a small onboard lithium battery, which acts a bit like a starter engine in your motor. Um, and that's a five kilowatt system. Um, that, that obviously has the same sort of challenges as lithium does have. However, the difference here would be that that would not see the same level of degradation as it would if it was a standalone system because we don't, we don't deplete the battery beyond 50% capacity. So that lithium battery will last a lot longer than, you know, eight to 12 years in the case of a residential context or indeed in the telco context, they're seeing, you know, five, sometimes three years of, of, of usage for lithium. Uh, and in mobility, it's even lower than that in certain cases. So it's going to last a lot longer. And so sustainability from that standpoint is a lot better. Yeah, good stuff. And sorry to interrupt you. We're going on to safety there as well. No, no, not at all. And then, yeah, the safety is a really important one. So a lot of people, when they think about hydrogen, they, you know, they think they're Hindenburg, they think H-bomb, they think sending rockets to space and so forth. Um, the key thing with hydrogen, because it's the lightest, uh, uh, smallest molecule known to man, it, it, it causes what's what they call embrittlement. And embrittlement is effectively corrosion. So it, it literally corrodes everything and anything down to metal. Uh, it has a funny way of, of corroding metal. Now, when you pressurize it, particularly at high pressures, so anything north of sort of 250, 300 bar pressure, embrittlement becomes an issue. So if you think, you know, traditional uh, hydrogen storage at 700 bar pressure or even liquefaction and also the ammonia pathway, embrittlement does become a big problem. Uh, our solution, because it's operating at 35 bar pressure, it's very, very low pressure, uh, we don't have any of those embrittlement issues. And also, because the hydride itself is almost like a sponge, uh, there's actually a funny video on YouTube of, of someone shooting a, a, a projectile, a bullet, at a, at a hydride cylinder, and you don't get anything like the catastrophic release of hydrogen as you would in a, in a, in a pressure vessel, a st standard pressure vessel, uh, you know, pressurized. So safety is a big, big part of this, which is why we uh, at Lava have, a, have really focused on uh, bringing this brand to market and being known for safe green hydrogen. Um, lifespan is the other one. So uh, as, as we mentioned, 20,000 cycles. So that's 30 years of life with virtually no degradation or capacity loss. Um, that's that's really important. That's a very important aspect here. People want something that's going to last. Uh, that matches a PV panel in terms of depreciation. So 30 years, you'd have to replace the lithium or the, or the system every couple of years, which is, which is a really important aspect. Um, scalability, I think we touched on briefly. So the ability to put these units together. So if you want to add a lot more storage, energy storage, and either as a business or a or, or, or a home, you do need to spend a lot of money uh, for incremental storage. But because the metal hydride storage is very, very modular, it's been designed to be very modular, you can add a lot more energy storage with, uh, you know, not a lot more cost. Um, so that's a, that, that makes the system very scalable. And as I mentioned, we are working on our utility scale HEOS solution as well for that reason. Um, and then from a cost perspective, uh, this is a very cost-effective way to store a lot of energy. So for a house, that's uh, we call a moderate load home, so 25 or so kilowatt hours a day. The levelized cost of energy or the lifetime cost of energy over the life of the asset for the LAVA unit actually sits below an equivalent Tesla Powerwall 2 at 25 cents per kilowatt. So that's lower than a leading competitor. And the reason for that is because you're not replacing the lithium over that time frame. So in, in a home setting, you're chewing through a number of those batteries, in some cases over 30 years, 9 to 12 batteries. Uh, it includes the PV panel installation, includes your grid connection costs. So it's the all-up cost or the lifetime cost of that asset. If you compare it to diesel generators, now that's a big market for us. So over a 20-year life, that's 23% lower. Over a 30-year life of a diesel genset that can 
push out 40 kilowatt hours, you're talking about a 35% lower LCOE. So from a cost perspective, it just makes a whole lot of sense. And if you're a business and you have access to instant asset write-offs, uh, where you can depreciate the uh, asset, et cetera, and you have access to the wholesale energy market, the business case just becomes more and more compelling. Um, so from a cost perspective, uh, that's another you know, ma- major advantage. So six, six sort of buckets of benefits or advantages. Fantastic. I hadn't uh, realized that. And some of the advocates of traditional batteries, lithium-ion batteries, had always come back to quoting the uh, energy efficiency. Things like you know batteries are, I think, 90 92% efficient versus a hydrogen system. You're losing energy at the conversion through the electrolyzer and then back when you convert yep. it back through a fuel cell. But from what you were saying there, those six reasons bring the overall cost lower than a um, uh, Tesla Powerwall? It does. And look, a lot of the battery manufacturers don't talk uh, about the <laughs> degradation. So yes, the efficiency factor is is significant uh, and, and certainly that's a major advantage, but it, it, you know, they don't factor in the degradation uh, of that. So that efficiency drops off significantly as that battery you know, starts to degrade. Efficiency for renewable generation is somewhat of a mute point. Uh, it does come up a lot, but you know, when you when you actually understand that you're dealing with a zero, virtually zero operating cost in that you've got you know, free energy. Uh, efficiency doesn't become such an issue. You know, round trip efficiency for the lava unit, we say is around 50%, which includes a battery there as well. Um, so, you know, it's not inefficient per se. And also when you're dealing with inexhaustible supply, efficiency, you know, the point is you're actually wasting this energy anyway because you can't often put it back into the grid. And as I mentioned in some cases, you're going to get, and increasingly so, because of grid instability, you're going to get penalized for putting this energy back into the grid. So what's happening is that energy is going out into the atmosphere through convection energy through your inverter, and it's never getting used. So you can either waste that energy, or you can still talk about you know, 50% efficiency of what is 100% waste. So it's, it's a, bit of a, mis, a bit of a misnomer, but yeah, on, on a technical level, certainly the efficiency at the electrolyzer is about 67% efficient. Uh, when you go back into the fuel cell, it drops down, and then obviously when the round-trip efficiency is around 50%. We're on the DC side, not on the AC side, so there's some efficiency gains there. But if you were to use a molecule, so i.e. power to X for you know a barbecue or a bike or, I don't know, power tools or whatever, okay, the cat out the bag there, um, you know, the efficiency is much higher. But if you want to go power to power for electrons, yes, the efficiency drops down to 50%. But again, the point here is you're talking about energy that's either wasted but it is also inexhaustible. Uh, you have a huge amount of energy sitting there that's been generated. And adding a few extra PV panels, now with the cost of PV panels are virtually free. I mean, it's as cheap as chips. To add a few more panels on your home, you know, you can actually soak up, and that's why we call lava a, a, solar, a solar sponge effectively. You soak up all this excess energy that otherwise wasted. Um, so efficiency, uh, you know, is, is a bit of a misnomer. And, you know, you talk about, you know, what's the efficiency of your plug? at home or next to you right now where you're sitting. The round-trip efficiency for what comes from the power station is actually pretty shocking. Uh, and it's, it's, it's less than round-trip efficiency from a power station. By the time it gets to your device, it's somewhere in the region of the 20, 20, high, high 20s, I think, is, is the quoted number. Uh, 20% high 20s. Wow, uh, for an internal combustion engine, it's like 23% efficient. And we still buy cars. You know, We still have coal-fired power stations. So... Uh, to then, you know, apply a different standard to a new technology, at, at, which is only going to get more efficient, I think is, is somewhat unfair. And again, the point is it's free energy uh, and you can add more p- panels as well. So hopefully that answers the efficiency question. Oh, absolutely. Great answer. And uh, yeah, such a, um, an interesting and eye-opening way of, uh, of looking at things. 
If we can look at the industry more broadly, if you can perhaps take your Lavo hat off, what are you most excited about about the uh, advancements in the hydrogen sector now? Oh, look, it's you know, before I joined the company, um, uh, I was happily uh, doing something else, and uh, one of the founders, Alan Yu, called me up, and uh, who I'd met at uh, along the, along my journey, career journey at uh, Commonwealth Bank of Australia, and he said, uh, "Look, this is what we're working on," and, and I said, "Look." I know storage is the missing part of the puzzle for renewable generation. What's a catch? This just sounds too good to be true. I mean, you're telling me here something which is from common alloy that's you know, been designed and developed here in Sydney can suddenly you know, be a major part of the global energy dilemma. And he said, well, yeah, there is no catch. That's what we're doing. So I'm, I've never been so excited and engaged uh, you know, for my own children's sake to see a technology that happens to be Aussie, Aussie-grown that can really play a significant role in in in, in that transition to a, a decarbonized future, um, and it is it's here now. It's not something we're waiting for in the next five or ten or twenty years. It's here now. Uh, we can cost effectively do this. Australia has the abundance of sun and wind. Uh, we have you know rare uh, alloys that are not rare earth alloys that are that are used in this that are from Australia. Uh, we we have all the ingredients necessary for Australia to be. Very, very self-sufficient in terms of renewables, but also becoming a major powerhouse insofar as exports are concerned. So I'm, I'm very excited because you know it, it is it is technology that's now feasible from a technology standpoint. It's viable from a commercial standpoint, and it's desirable from a customer standpoint. I mean, the amount of demand, as I mentioned, uh, for this technology is 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 quite quite incredible. I mean, I I, I get uh, LinkedIn prompts almost weekly from from significant organizations globally that are just you know wanting to get their hands on this technology because of the implications and you know EC, ESG is 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 still a, a real challenge for a lot of boards particularly here in Australia you know I think we're a bit late late off the mark and frankly speaking a lot of boards just don't know how they're going to achieve these ESG goals you know so they put up a lot of you know nice flowery targets and language but to be honest if you ask them how actually are you going to do that how actually are you going to achieve that they can't answer you often. They'll list out a few things, but that's not tangibly tied back to those ESG goals. So what I'm excited about is here's a technology that can truly form part of that transition uh, to, a, to a net zero future uh, and help actually achieve ESG goals for, for from the board level down. Huge, absolutely huge potential. And I'm so pleased we got the opportunity to to talk through this and demystify some of the uh, the topics around uh, around your technology, and you're you're right. Uh, there's so many organisations that have been talking about decarbonisation for so long, and great to see organisations like Lavo that have uh, somewhere down the road, albeit early stages, but uh, you've got a fantastic path for growth uh, ahead of you. Have you got any uh, any messages for the audience? Any anything else that we've not spoken about that you'd like to share with the uh, the listeners? Uh, any asks of uh, of the audience? Um. I think if it's probably just one ask, it would be to um, you know really start looking into hydrogen, uh, the industry itself, and the role that Australia can play. Uh, you know, uh, for our, I've got three young kids, and I think about their futures all the time. Uh, and you know, it's not going to be in traditional industries as we've all grown up in. So I think from an intergenerational standpoint, for the listeners, I would say you know do look into renewables. You know, I would say I joined this company because. On the one hand, yes, I had you know sustainability. I had a sustainability mindset, but you know he has an opportunity to to really intersect profit uh, with purpose uh, with planet, 
and you know, we're not the only gig in town. There's lots of organisations in Australia doing this. Uh, not this specific technology, but you know, helping advance those three those three intersecting goals. And you know, this is something which can be profitable. It can be very very profitable for the country and for the communities, the local communities. In fact, regional Australia has a significant role to play in benefiting from from the hydrogen revolution that's coming. So, I would say a lot of people, you know, it's fine to be skeptical. That's good, uh, but really, uh, if you look into this, uh, support support the industry that's still fledgling and nascent. Uh, support your local MPs. Uh, you know, ask for ask start asking for these distributed generation technologies to start taking taking shape. And start taking control of your energy de- destiny. I mean, you know, why should we be reliant on on big, big end of town power companies uh, as we have in the past? We don't need to be. Um, so I would I would encourage people to 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 you know not wait for the economics to be perfect. Just start looking at the benefits that perhaps are not quantifiable. Look at the externality costs of use continuing to not have solar panels on your on your roof. Yes. Look at the externality costs of not having storage, even if it's standalone lithium storage. Uh, you know, the costs are not just in the commercial costs that can be quantified. It's in the unquantifiable non-commercial costs that are, you know, impacting the environment. So this isn't just about hugging trees. It's actually about making a significant contribution to the Australian economy and for the next generation and the generations to come. So my message there would just be to, um, yeah, I guess, you know, advocate for it, pester your local MPs to understand what are they doing to actually support this technology coming in. And what what can you do as an individual to make a difference to to the environment? It starts now, and this this technology isn't somewhere in the future. It's now. Fantastic answer, Jack. Fantastic, and great to see organisations like Lavo getting on the front foot and uh, making some progress within this industry. Is there any any modelling that where the listeners could perhaps see the comparison of um, the Lavo units versus? Um, battery storage? We are actually developing a, um, a, a portal on our website, which will come soon, which is give, give residents and commercial operators the ability to go in there and pop in your, your details. So what is your energy consumption? When do you use it? Where are you based, etc. And it will actually spit out a nice little uh, economic analysis for you and also help you understand the, the carbon offset that potentially implementing this technology can offer. So that that is something to come. But I think for us, from a uh, you know the website's fantastic. We, we're on we're on all the all the social media. So we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. So do click on us, follow us, and we have a newsletter that you can you can subscribe to as well on Lava, which will keep everybody abreast as to the developments. Um, and obviously on LinkedIn, I'm pretty pretty active on LinkedIn, and and often uh, we have a lot of announcements that probably hit LinkedIn first before anything else. So follow us on LinkedIn and the socials. Yeah, that'd be that'd be fantastic. Thanks again, Jack, for your time, and um, to all our listeners, um, thank you for tuning in. Uh, If you enjoy the episode, please don't forget to like and uh, subscribe and we'll see you again soon. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Appreciate it. I'm Andy Marsland. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for joining us on the Hydrogen Journey. We welcome you to join us at our next episode. Please remember to subscribe and review the show and hope to see you next time.